This is Carl the Jackal Frampton. Hi, this is David Healy. Hello, this is Stephen Ferris. Hi, I'm Bethany Ferris. Hi, this is Joey Barton. I'm Jonas Gutierrez. Hi, this is Harry Kewell. And you're, you're listening, listening to The Score. score. The Score with Michael Clark. And welcome along to The Score here on Lisburn's 98FM and Bangor FM with me, Michael Clark. Coming up on today's show. Defeat for Ian Barraclough's men in Italy. We assess the key talking points with an eye on Wednesday's big game at Windsor Park against Bulgaria. We discuss the latest on the return to grassroots football. Will the Irish Cup suffer any more dropouts after Dundella become the sixth club to opt against participating? And Colin Hopkins is here with his Danske Bank Premiership predictions for this weekend's fixtures. It's all coming up right here on The Score. The Score with Michael Clark. So it was defeat last night for Northern Ireland in Parma against Italy. But what of the performance? What did you make of the display? Were you pleased with it or were there some areas you felt could have been better. Helping us dissect the match itself is uh, a good friend of the programme, sports journalist and indeed sports editor of the County Down Spectator and Newton Nord's Chronicle, Keith Bailey. Keith, great to have you back on the score. Yes, good to be here, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Um, obviously, it was a, a big game for Northern Ireland last night, the first game of the World Cup qualifying campaign. Probably no real realistic expectation, I would say, if we're being honest, Northern will qualify from this campaign. But for Ian Barclough's sake, I'm sure he'll, he'll want to put in a, a good campaign. And, and last night was a, was always a difficult start. They were going to an Italian team, which is drastically improved under Roberto Mancini and is, has moved up the world rankings and, and qualified for Euro 2020 with, with relative ease after the disappointment of, of making, of failing to qualify for, for the Russia World Cup. Um, so the fact that they lost 2-0 is not a major shock, nor is, is it a, a major disappointment. I think this week's set of fixtures will always be judged on how Northern Ireland do at home to Bulgaria on Wednesday night, but perhaps we'll, we'll touch on that game. Uh, a little bit more later on, but but to take last night's performance um, on its own merits for Northern Ireland, it, it was uh, it's a cliche, but it was a game of two halves, and the first half was was a poor performance by Northern Ireland, and they had chances uh, to extend their lead and could have been going in, you know, more than two 0 up at half time. The second half was actually relatively impressive. Northern Ireland. Had, created numerous chances and were very unfortunate not to, to grab a goal and if they had have made it 2-1 at, at certain points in the game then we could have had a grand slam finish in that last 10-15 minutes it, it just didn't happen um, I would say that you know reading through I've, I've looked over some of the Italian press and you know they're very happy with the performance and, and essentially what happened from their perspective is they wrapped the game up in the first half and I think that that's probably fair but you know, Italy were sloppy in that second half and Northern Ireland came very close to taking advantages of it. So it's it's a mix of, of positive and negative um, 
from a Northern perspective. But but as I say, I don't think the fate of this campaign or Ian Barclough's fate going forward will be will be decided by this match. It'll it'll probably be relatively you know forgotten relatively quickly. I imagine if you'd have said to most Northern Ireland fans before the game, you'll lose two nil. A lot of them would have taken that result there and then and thought that all things considered wouldn't be a bad result maybe after the game it's where the frustration comes in seeing the manner in which the goals were given away um question marks over whether the keeper could have done much to be honest for the first one Dominico Berardi I thought it was a really good finish but certainly the second goal Chiro Immobile beating him at his near post with a shot that even the commentators during the match were saying it's one that you would hope a goalkeeper would save yeah, this is a major problem for Northern Ireland at this stage. Um, the goalkeeper issue is very real. Billy Peacock-Farrell is a talented young goalkeeper and has had some fantastic games for Northern Ireland. I'm thinking away to Romania and away to Bosnia particularly. But then also, you know, he has made mistakes that's cost Northern Ireland goals. Obviously, the Slovakia one in the playoff is, is the most notable and he does seem to have an issue with his near post. I think we saw that exposed in the Slovakia playoff. If you saw the highlights of... Uh, the game he played for Burnley um, against Manchester City, I think it was six 0 You know he, he had a poor day that day and was beat at the near post as well. And then again, the issue raises its head last night. Probably not fair to blame at all on on Bailey. Um, if you want to look back at the two goals, first one you mentioned, Berardi. You know some people I did see see criticise the goalkeeper for that. I, like you said, I disagree. I think it was a fantastic finish by Berardi. He put it high into the net and I don't think there was a lot the goalkeeper could do about it. If anyone was named for it, it was maybe Stuart Dallas who he was kind of fooled by a very clever double movement from Berardi. Uh, uh, and if, if anything, you know, maybe Northern Ireland's defensive line was a little bit too high up at that stage. The second goal is more obviously Billy Peacock Farrell's fault. He was beat at the near post and he shouldn't have been beat at the near post. But I don't think you can lay the one hundred percent of the blame for that goal on his shoulders because if you if you look back at the full the, the minute before that goal, it actually comes from a Northern Ireland attack. Uh, Johnny Evans strolls into the the Italy half, um, gets up to almost the D, plays a ball to Michael Smith, and then Michael Smith's cross is is cut out, and from that. Italy go on the counter-attack, and that actually happened in the, the second minute of the game, where from a from set piece, Italy launched um, a very quick transition. It didn't seem like Northern Ireland learned any lessons from that. You look at that and go, like, this is Northern Ireland away to Italy, away to one of the best teams in world football at this moment in time. And in the second half, in the 36th minute, I think it was, when you're probably looking to just see it through the halftime at 1-0, you've got your centre-back, Johnny Evans, you know, deep in the Italy half and you've got your right back deep in the Italy half, the right wing back. So that you know that the half two of your back five, you know, so high up the pitch, um, at that stage in the game, you know, there there's obviously gonna be consequences for that and, and Chiro Mobile took massive advantage of that by by, you know, getting onto the ball and, and getting the shot away. Um but uh, as we both said, the Peacock Farrell should do better with that. It, it was one that, that was there to be saved and Oh, it's just, it's frustrating. But here's the thing: you know, people will say the issue is he's not playing at club level, and you can't argue with that. That is an issue. Um, but you know, Connor Hazard, the backup, isn't isn't number one at Celtic, and obviously Michael McGovern's injured, and Trevor Carson's injured, and after that, you're looking at Liam Hughes, who's about fifth choice at at uh, Liverpool, or you've got 
Gartside, Nathan Gartside, who's playing in, at Derry City, and, and after that, you're in Derry City goalkeeper. So it, it's not like there's an obvious option that's sitting there to, to come in and replace Billy Peacock Barrel. He is the best that we have, and, and I would suggest that's why Ian Barcroft is, is so reluctant to criticise him. And in the post match interviews, he knows that he needs Billy going forward, he needs Billy to be feeling confident and, um, and improve because at this moment in time, he's the only real option we, we probably have. On that, you, you know, you're saying then you have to dip into the Irish League potentially. Do you think that that is something that should maybe be looked at? Um, whether they'd make any changes now for the USA friendly, but should Irish League goalkeepers who are playing regularly, some of them are playing full time football week in, week out, should they be given? Uh, a bit more respect in terms of an opportunity to get into the squad, or even looking down to the League of Ireland, uh, you know, could they tempt Alan Manis back into the picture? Uh, someone with, with a, a good lot of experience, rather than a goalkeeper who isn't getting minutes, because we we can't just use that excuse when other keepers are playing and aren't being picked, can we? Well, you know, this is the issue. Um, obviously, there's always a lot of talk when an Irish League player or even a League of Ireland player is called up into the Northern Ireland squad, and you'll get that kind of attitude of, well, nobody from the Irish League should ever be called up because it's a part-time league. And I, I think that's, that's unfair. And I think that, that Shane Lavery, for example, obviously in a very different position, has done relatively well when he's been, been called into the team. Um, you know, I, the way I see it is that somebody should be called up on their own merits, um, regardless of what league they were gonna, they're playing. And if you weren't going to call people up based up on their league, you wouldn't have Michael Smith and Liam Boyce in the, in the squad because they play in the, the Scottish Championship. The question you have to ask, is there an Irish League goalkeeper who's good enough to step up and, and be, you know, one of Northern Ireland's top three goalkeepers? Or even a number one, and I think the answer to that is probably no. I, I don't know. Chris Johns is the obvious one, but I'm not sure he's really had a good enough season to merit that. Johnny Tuffy certainly hasn't had a good enough season to merit that. So I don't really know where you where you go there. I'm not sure there's a an obvious option in the Irish League. You mentioned Alan Manis. I, I think you know he's probably had his fill of sitting on the bench. Um, he did it for about ten years, so I think he's probably at the stage of his career where he'd. He'd rather focus on on uh, what he's got left as a, a club goalkeeper. Difficult one, and maybe something that Billy Peacock Farrell will look at as well in terms of trying to get himself more game time. Because there's no way any young goalkeeper wants to be sitting on the bench, and he he took a chance going for that step up at that time in his career, and maybe maybe it wasn't the right move to take. But uh, hindsight's a wonderful thing. Um, do, do you well, think that's well, going to be? Is, this is it. I mean, you know, Burnley have had top goalkeepers over the years and some of their goalkeepers who have been second choice, I'm thinking of Nick Pope as the obvious one, stepped up to become their first choice goalkeeper and are now, you know, Pope started for England last night. So he probably looks at that transition and goes, well, if that's what they've done for Pope, then perhaps they can do it for, for me as well. But it feels a long way off at the moment and I suspect they'll need a, a loan deal somewhere along the line um, if he is going to step in. Mm. It, it isn't just goalkeeping that you know people are talking about now after the match is a, it's sort of a confidence in both boxes there were chances in that second half and the the disappointing thing and it sounds a strange thing to complain about because going away to Italy you know you're never guaranteed goals but the goals were there to be had last night and we just couldn't take our chances yeah it's frustrating I mean there were a number of chances Gavin White um, I thought had the opportunity to maybe try and nip round the goalkeeper and he slid in to, to try and 
you know, kind of clip it past Donnarumma and, and Donnarumma got there before him. Uh, Michael Smith had a great chance at the back post immediately after. You don't necessarily expect your right back to score that in fairness. I thought Paddy McNair should have done better. Him and Cal Lafferty almost got in each other's way. Um, McNair is somebody who has the, the quality to, to score a goal. Um, no doubt about that. You know, kind of have these discussions and people will say what Northern Ireland lack is is a goal scorer well that's kind of stating the obvious we don't there isn't one in the ranks um it's on the responsibility of all the players uh you know to step up and take the goal now and again uh, listen personally I don't think that the goal scoring situation is as big an issue as, as maybe some might have you believe if you look back over our last 10 games, we haven't kept a clean sheet in any of those 10 games. Now, across those 10 games, we've we scored in six of those 10. But what you're doing there by not keeping clean sheets is you, you take away the option of a 1-0 win. And if you look back at Northern Ireland's success, whether that was under Michael O'Neill or back in the 80s, you know, 1-0 to Northern Ireland was, was such a, a common scoreline. And at the moment, there's just no possibility of us, of us recording that scoreline against any team because we just don't look like keeping a clean sheet. You know, we need to you know, we need to eke out a goal and then keep it tight at the back. That's that's been the North Island way for for a hundred years and, and we just don't we just don't look capable of that at the moment. And that I guess calls into question the strategy because you could look at that performance and say, you know, tactically it was brave at times, but you could argue, is that also naive? You know, what what are we prioritizing as a team if we're saying we need to concede less. Should we be as open and as expansive? But at the same time, there were some really positive bits to play in that second half that you're thinking, if we have a goal scorer, you can play that way? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, listen, personally, I thought we were far too open in that first half. But, you know, Italy's a case on its own. You know, the Bulgaria game's going to be very different. It's a different set of circumstances. But just looking at the Italy game, yeah, I mean, I, I thought we were... It was too open. We didn't do a good enough job keeping the tight. We had defenders and rod and forward, and we we had two up front. And you know, I think really the Northern Ireland way over the years has been let's sit in, let's make it difficult, get men behind the ball. And we didn't do that well enough in, in the first half um, last night, and, and that's what settled the game. You, you can talk about the second half and missing chances, but we're already two 0 down. But that's age. the chances of Northern Ireland scoring two goals in the second half way to Parma are, are in Parma is, is always. Always pretty unlikely. I think overall, you know, it's not a it's not a terrible result by any means. You know, two 0 to Italy is, as I said already, you know, a result a lot of people probably would have taken. A lot would have feared worse. Um, so it's all about the response. So how much weight do you put on the USA friendly on Sunday? Is it almost in the way of preparations for Bulgaria, or is it a welcome chance to experiment a little bit? You know, how, how much will people be looking for a result here? How much does the game really matter in the in the grand scheme of things? I mean, how much weight they put on it? I don't put any weight on it at all. I mean, I think if it was the first game of the three, it would be quite interesting an opportunity to give somebody like Dion Charles a chance um, and see how they do, and maybe considering them for for selection in the the qualifiers game. If it came at the end of the campaign, uh, sorry, at the end of the, this week of fixtures, and it was the third match, again, you could play about with it. Um, I think it's really difficult that it falls in the middle because obviously you want to prepare properly for the Bulgaria game. That's the focus. Everything rests in the Bulgaria game. The USA game kind of feels like it's. It's in the road. Listen, it is an opportunity for Ian Barakoff to to try out a few players. Ian Charles will get his opportunity all being well. 
Um, perhaps Connor Hazard will, will get a go um, in between the sticks. I think it'll be interesting to see how well he does. He's obviously, you know, he's played for Celtic. He's got a lot of promise. A lot of people think highly of him uh, at Celtic Park. So, yeah, it is an opportunity to, to try out a couple of things. The fear with that game is that, like, this is probably the best, you know, they hope this is the best US team of all time. In the sense that you've got Giovanni Rain in there, you've got Pulisic in there, uh, Weston McKinney, I think he's, he's actually out, but, you know, there, there's four or five arguably top class players on their way to being mm-hmm. world class players. And if you play a team that consists purely of, of the backups, you could get quite comfortably beaten and, and that could be bad for morale and people who don't know their football as well as what, you know, you and I, maybe our, our listeners do, we'll look at and go, goodness me, USA, they're, they don't like football. How have we, how have we lost to them? Um, but if we play a B team, you know, that, um, that could be, it could be a bad scoreline because USA don't actually have, they didn't have any qualifiers over this, uh, over this week. They're just playing friendlies in Europe. So, um, the USA one's a tricky one. I'm sure Ian Barkoff would, would rather he didn't have it. Yeah. And when you look at, you know, the teams that those players represent. There's a lot of Bundesliga players in there. Obviously, Sergio Dest, who is at Barcelona. Um, you, you could run through the squad, actually, and say even the people that haven't been capped are playing for teams in the Serie A, you know, and they've brought in uh, people, um, you know, that are... Uh, Brian Reynolds, for example, would be interesting to see if he gets a run-out because I don't think he's played yet for them, but, you know, he plays for Roma. They've They've got so much quality in there, and you're right. You could look at it and think, USA, well, traditionally not a big football country. This should be a, a bit easier. But this is nearly a, a USA um, men's team now trying to catch up what their women have done because they've been so record-breaking and so good uh, that I think it's almost kind of woken the whole country up to hold on here. This sport, we should be doing better at it. Look at, look at the success the women have had. And... I'm looking at this team now and thinking really in 10 or 15 or 20 years with the size of the country, with proper coaching and investment, they should really be a global player in the sport. And um, this is a squad that's already shown promise of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think not qualifying for the Russia World Cup was a, a kick up the backside for, for the USA. And they're, you know, they already have these players coming through at that stage. And then now they're just come to that age of, 22-23 where they're, they're in a position to, to make an impact and they'll be a good team at, at Qatar in, in what 18 months time um, and I think it's just it's just bad timing for North Ireland that, that we've uh, we've got them you know what three days before we've got an absolutely crucial World mm. Cup qualifier against Bulgaria That is uh, certainly something I pondered as well I have to say Keith on that game against Bulgaria uh, by that time Bulgaria will have having already been beaten by Switzerland, although they, they pulled a goal back to kind of, I guess, make it look a bit more respectable. 3-1 home defeat for Bulgaria. They're playing Italy on Sunday. So, um, you know, they, they could come into our game thinking, well, we've, we've had the two toughest matches. Now let's give it a go. And Northern Ireland will need to be ready for that. Yeah, it's a nightmare start for Bulgaria, isn't it? And, well, goodness me, they had a, a nightmare start yesterday. I had the... <laughs> The dubious fortune of, of watching that game and, and Bulgaria were uh, 3-0 down against a very good Swiss team, it has to be said, um, in 12 minutes. And Switzerland destroyed them. I mean, Bulgaria looked like a pub team in those first 15 minutes. You know, Switzerland were, were 3-0 up and they could have been 6-0 up. It, it was it was insane how one-sided it was. Now, what you have to say is 
the second half was very, very different, and Bulgaria were the better team in that second half. It was uh, there were remarkable similarities between the this game and the the Italy Northern Ireland game, um, and it, and Bulgaria certainly deserved it when they pulled the goal back, and they put a lot of pressure on um, to get the second goal to make it three two, and it, it could have been very different um, if Bulgaria played the way. They did in the first half. I have no doubt Northern Ireland will beat them. If they play the way they played in the second half, they're going to give Northern Ireland a real game. Um, they seem to be a team who's maybe better going forward than they are defensively um, on that show on, on Thursday. It's a tough game for Northern Ireland, there's no doubt about it. But it's one they really have to win. And I actually think that we've almost become used to winning these sort of fixtures. Certainly over the last, what, seven, eight years, Northern Ireland have struggled against the Germanys, against the Italys, against the Hollands. But we've pretty consistently defeated these kind of teams that are kind of level ranking with us at Windsor Park or below us. You know, you, you think back to to various wins, you know, the the Norway win or the, I'm going back a little bit here, or the, the Czech Republic win mm-hmm. in previous campaigns. And this Bulgaria game kind of fits squarely into into that stru- that kind of that section um, and and you know we need to win it if we want to keep in with a chance of qualifying qualifying is a you know a bit of a pipe dream in the situation but you want to keep that dream going into the autumn so to, to give us all a bit of interest and a bit of excitement and and if we're serious about pushing for that second place and, and maybe putting a bit of pressure on a good Swiss team um, we need to win this we need to beat Bulgaria you need to take you take six points realistically off Bulgaria, but that starts on Wednesday with a home win. Yeah, that's the that's the big thing, isn't it? And you're right, win that game and all of a sudden you're looking ahead to the way match in Lithuania in September and starting to think, well, hold on, you know, the, the way the run works, we kind of get to finish the group with some home games and if we can just be there or thereabouts come that final run and, you know, the last three games are away to Bulgaria, at home to Lithuania and then the final match at home, Windsor Park against Italy. You know, could you imagine an Italian team that have already qualified in Northern Ireland that just need to get something from that game? Granted, uh, Bulgaria be playing Switzerland, but it, it, it seems very optimistic to look at it that way. But there's no other way to look at it. If you're Northern Ireland, you have to give yourself a chance, and that, as you've rightly said, all starts this Wednesday. So it's a pressure game for Ian Barraclough on the side, and it'll be interesting to see how they respond to that. Well, it's huge pressure, you know, Ian Barraclough. If we win this game on Wednesday night. Everyone will be delighted. There'll be a feel-good factor. People will look forward to the, the September, October, November fixtures. We'll start talking about, well, what happens if we can beat Lithuania away? Then we're in with a real chance. We lose, you know, people start to ask questions about Ian Barkov and, you know, he hasn't got a long-term contract and, and, and so far he hasn't had a great deal of wins. Obviously, the, the victory in Bosnia was incredible, a fantastic night. It did come by a penalty shootout. You know, we haven't won a lot of matches under, Andre Barkov. So I, I think more than anybody, he needs this win. He needs this win to show Northern Ireland fans that yes, we can have um, a, a bit of success under his guidance because you know he wants this to be a long-term project. He doesn't want it to just be this qualifying campaign and, th- and then he moves on. So I think more than anyone, you know, he, he needs a win on Wednesday night. Yeah, interesting seeing some of the reaction we've had on social media. Gary Porter saying that he was. Uh, encouraged by the performance against Italy. Uh, Italy probably had another gear if required, though it gave him some hope that second place is doable. Massive game on Wednesday, says Gary Phillip, uh, saying his biggest takeaway from the game 
against Italy was uh, how Northern Ireland came out in the second half fearless. He said he expected the worst. Need a finisher, but have enough to beat Bulgaria. Always uh, the most important match of the three. So uh, you get that sense from supporters. A lot of them, you know, echoing the sentiments already discussed on the show that, um, you know, there there is some optimism to be had to be had here off the back of that defeat in Parma, and whether it lasts beyond Wednesday will entirely <laughs> depend on the result. Um, for that game, then, do you foresee much of a change for Northern Ireland in terms of how they set about their business? I, I would imagine that we might see a, a different setup. Um, he may revert to a back four rather than the back five that we saw in Italy. Although you know he, he did talk pre-match about how he felt the players were were very comfortable um, in that in that back three. If we if we are going to play the, the back five or back three, depending on what way you want to look at it, um, I, I would probably like to see Daniel Ballard come in, who I think is a fantastic young defender, and perhaps push Paddy McNair in the midfield because he can. He's somebody who can influence the game high up the pitch. Um, I think he's more suited to being a midfielder at this stage of his career than a defender. Perhaps with a bit of fortune, we'll, we'll have Jamal Lewis back from injury if he comes at left back, and that would free up Stuart Dallas to play in a, a different role. That could be right wing back, or that could be higher up the pitch in a, in a midfield position. Again, he's somebody who can influence the game high up the pitch. So I think if he can. It would be nice if we could get McNair and Dallas higher up the pitch and, and involved in things at the other end because you know that'll that'll give Bulgaria something different to think about. Um, it's a difficult, you know, it's a difficult situation in the sense that you know if you go if Northern push on and try and attack and try and. Um, you know, pin Bulgaria back early on. You do need to be wary of the fact that we've conceded a lot of goals recently. We have we've got a goalkeeper who's lacking in confidence, and and probably a centre back in Greg Cathcart who's who's lacking a bit of confidence as well. Um, so you can't go too gung ho because you you know you end up one 0 down, and then you've a mountain to climb. So I would suspect they'll they'll maybe you know a cautious first forty five, and then and then try and, and try and put a bit of pressure on Bulgaria in the second half. Um, it's a big big game. Uh, I guess you have to look, you know, if you're taking a step back from it, you've got to ask yourself, what's fair for Northern? What do we expect from Northern in this campaign? Because it's not realistic to expect them to qualify. It's not realistic to expect them to, to even finish second and, and grab a playoff. Um, I, I think what the, um, the realistic aim has got to be is to finish third. Um, and that's something that's that's absolutely doable because Lithuania are, are not. Or nothing special in Bulgaria, or nothing special. You know, over the last 10 years, we have been the best of those three teams. So there's no reason why we can't do that. And, and if we're going to do that, then, then it's got to start with a, a win against Bulgaria on, on Wednesday night. Yeah. And, you know, potentially, I don't know if uh, they're going to be uh, risking Stephen Davis before then, but um, a chance for him to step out in that game at Windsor Park and uh, set a new record. Um, haven't equaled the British record already, you know, time with Peter Shilton's 125 caps. Yeah, I think we're going to have to get Marshall Gillespie to do a bit of digging after this Bulgaria game and see if we can find any other records that Stephen Davis can break, because it feels like for the last two years, every time <laughs> Davis uh, pulled on a green shirt, he's he's broken a record here or there. Um, yeah, we're, we've been talking about this constantly for the last couple of years, and, and well, you know, why not? Stephen Davis is well worth it. He's been 
um, an incredible player for Northern Ireland. He will go down as one of the greatest Northern Ireland players of all time. I think any Northern Ireland all-time starting eleven should have Stephen Davis in it. I think that's how influential he's been. Being you, you look back right at the start of his career and that win over England when he played the the crucial ball for for David Haley to score that famous goal. How good he was against Spain and the the three two win, you know. And and then he played through all the dark times um, where we had some really you know difficult difficult periods and, and perhaps a period where he was not his best. Um, but he he was there. You know, he showed up for all the campaigns when perhaps you know other. Other players maybe dipped out of certain certain qualifiers. You know, Davo was was there and and was there for the hard times and got that reward under Michael O'Neill when we qualified for Euro twenty sixteen. Um, an incredible career, and, and it's a shame we didn't we didn't qualify for the World Cup in twenty eighteen or, or Euro twenty twenty two. You know, we came so close to it because he he is a guy who is worthy of having played multiple major championships and actually if you look at it go like he's got 125 caps that's with only playing in one major tournament you think of all those kind of leading england players that have got over 100 caps and you know, they probably played five six tournaments you know to, to reach 125 caps when you don't have that kind of every two years you get four caps five caps from 10 in a tournament i mean that's incredible if if he was at a, a top nation or we qualify more more often, um, Steve Davis would be a 150-cap player. I mean, it really is incredible. Yeah, oh, what an achievement. And he's not done yet, so uh, he, he certainly will have that record to himself um, very soon. The next time he steps out onto the pitch, that'll be uh, him with the, the, the British record. And congratulations and, you know, in anticipation of that to him. Um, if we change our focus slightly to... Um, you know, grassroots football, and, and let's be honest, we've said this many times in the program, Keith, and we've discussed it on the program, um, as of other contributors, we're very lucky to have 12 teams playing here, but that means the majority, the vast majority of people who play and enjoy the sport are not actively participating in it because of the restrictions, so so many people have uh, had to go the last year without it. Um, the update from the IFA that at grassroots level training can resume surely comes as a, a huge lift to many. Yeah, I think it, it will be a lift. Um you need to you need to view this in a little bit of context in the sense that, that what you know, I think that a lot of clubs around the company and country in all sports, not just football, were hoping for more than this. They were hoping for the, the opportunity maybe on the 1st of April to come back and play full contact games, to have full contact training, to to really get back into the swing of things, um, which is set to happen in England over the next couple of weeks. That, that's not what is happening here. Um, limited return to sports um, on the 1st of April in terms of, of golf and, and tennis and, and sports that are, are non-contact. Then on the, the 12th of April, we've got um, outdoor sports can return to to training but only in groups of 15 and you know that that's very difficult um for everybody you know if you think about a rugby team where there's 15, 15 players you can you probably have to train like your backs and your forwards separately to make that work um you know equally for football which obviously is is the, the focus um that we're talking about you know it, it's nice for the players to have the opportunity at grassroots to get out there to meet their friends to have a chat to have a bit of exercise 
and to to have a bit of banter, but like in terms of of getting back close to playing, we're, we're still a, a way off from that. Um, I think any coach would tell you, football coach would tell you, it's very difficult to organise a proper training session when you can only have groups of fifteen. I mean, what what can you do? You can do shooting drills. You can do you know you can do various drills, but you can't really have a match situation because um, obviously within that fifteen, you're probably looking at two or three coaches. So. It, for, on a grassroots level, it's great to get kids back out there. It's great to get you know men and women back out playing the sport they love and and talking to each other and, and having a bit of fun. But like in terms of a serious competitive level, like this isn't really much isn't a great deal of practical use. Um, so it's a step in the right direction, but it's it's a baby step in the right direction. Yeah, well that is that is true as well, and it'll be interesting to see how long until the next update. It feels like at the moment, you know, there are some encouraging signs there. And whilst we're taking baby steps in terms of opening up sport, you look at some of the stuff being talked about for June and and the Euros, and you think, well, hold on, if we can talk about tens of thousands of people going to different matches across Europe when parts of Europe are enduring, unfortunately, a third wave at the moment, then surely with us managing things, we could start to seriously look at how to slowly open things up, but maybe a little quicker than what we have been. Yeah, there's no doubt there's a contradiction there. Um, I think there's a contradiction in what we're being told in Northern Ireland and the very cautious approach that the executive is taking uh, and what we're hearing in England, which is... And obviously, like, England may not be relevant to us, but we also absorb all that news. We see, you know, we all watch, you know, the BBC News at 6 o'clock or the ITV News at, at 10 o'clock, whatever it happens to be. So we absorb all that news, even if it's not strictly irrelevant to us and, and here you've got that cautious approach of listen one step at a time we've got to keep on top of this we've, we can't go too far too soon and England are doing that as well but they're also saying listen by the way you know we might have big crowds at Wimbledon and big crowds at the Euros and you know the Lions are off to South Africa so it, it is a bit confusing uh, I think it it's frustrating for people in Northern Ireland because they want to have those dates, those indicative dates, so they can have something to look towards. But I think there's a very real possibility that, that considering what's going on in the continent, in, in Europe, that the whole thing, the promises that the British government laid out about what's going to happen in June just may not happen. And I guess that's what... The executive for wary of doing is making promises that they can't deliver on, um, and I can understand that. So it's a tough situation. I, I do feel that if there is one thing that we can push and one thing that we can we can get back up and running as quickly as possible, I think it should be outdoor sport. And I think in particular it should be outdoor sport for for kids because it's it's just a massive help for for kids' fitness, for kids' mental health, for for everyone, you know, it, you know, it would just be a huge lift for for kids who have been locked in their houses and spent so much time in front of screens over the last year to get them back out and get them playing sport. That's more important than anything. That's more important than playing the Irish Cup or getting crowds in the Northern Ireland games. You know, that that's what really matters is, is getting kids back in the pitch. And if there's a priority in sport, that's what it should be. Um, and I think we should move towards that. Uh, as quickly as we we possibly can, because obviously the school year will it's not that long before it before it's over uh, once again. So I think we should definitely focus on trying to get kids back playing sport before the end of the school term. 
Keith, I hear you. We're going to be talking to Colin Hopkins in uh, just a minute's time to get his predictions on the, the weekend's games in the Danske Bank Premiership. But just before we do that, a quick word. You mentioned the Irish Cup. A quick word on that. Dundella, the latest team to pull out. Are we expecting many more dropouts before a ball's kicked in this tournament? I'm reluctant to say no, there won't be any more dropouts, but uh, the vibes are that I, I, that would be probably just six to drop out. Um, you know, I think if you were going to drop out, you probably would have done it by now. And if you look at the non-championship clubs don't seem to have a problem. They all seem quite happy to play. The issue has really been with 12 championship clubs who are incredibly frustrated by the fact that their league wasn't able to go ahead. Half of that division have already pulled out. If you look at the other half, quite a few of them have already arranged friendlies. So that obviously suggests that they're going to play in the Irish Cup. So I, I think it'll it'll be only those six, maybe one or two more, maybe. Um, so you know you're looking at a situation where you will have the the, the IFA had initially planned to call this the the round of 32. I've, no, I've noticed they've stopped referring to it as that. It's become the first round. Um, for obvious reasons, because there's not going to be 32 teams in it, um, you're looking at a first round that's going to have more buys in it than the end of an awkward Zoom call. Um, it's, <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be a very strange round of fixtures with you know half the teams getting buys and half them, you know, playing a, a strange game of football. It's going to involve you know maybe one or maybe two teams that haven't played in, in the best part of a year. Um, but you kind of look at games like Anna against Linfield and think, like, what's going to happen there? You know, Anna have, I think they've got five friendly spans, so they're, they're putting their work in and they're going to try and prepare as best as possible. Coming up against the Linfield team that have been playing all year and, have, and for the most part have played pretty well and are, you know, are on top of their game, you know, it could be a big scoreline. And, and also, you look at a normal situation, maybe David Haley would, would play a lot of infield Swiss. Well, the Swiss haven't been training, so you know Haley can only pick from from his first-team squad. Obviously, he can change a bit within that, um, but it'll be a strong Linfield team that Anna play. Um, so you can understand the, the reluctance of uh, of a Dondella to, to put themselves in that position and play Glen Torn, who have been who have been again like the Blues have been in good form for most of the year and are at the top of their game, whereas they haven't kicked the ball since since the County Antrim Shield in October. I mean, it makes perfect sense that those clubs don't want to play. Yeah. Um, the flip of it, you also would have a club like ours who have a number of of professionals. And they would have to take them off furlough uh, to play in the Irish Cup, and that, that's an expensive decision, you know, to, to play one, two games of football. You know, is it really worth that? The answer to that is probably no. You look at it from another way, and if you're Anna or you're you're some of the amateur teams um, that are competing in the Irish Cup, well, why not? Why not give it a go? You you don't have if you're all amateur players, you don't have to worry about bringing anybody off furlough. You maybe look at it and think we've nothing to lose here. Sure, sure, who cares if we get beat five 0 I think each club has its own different outlook on it, and I think that's fair enough. On those Zoom calls, have you have you given up waving at the end of them? That was a thing that really, you know, we don't really wave at people when we see them face to face and say goodbye. But everyone on a Zoom call, for some reason, for ages, kind of went bye bye and just waved sort of timidly, not really knowing how to end a Zoom call. Yeah, that's I always I always go for a wave. I mean, it was a big thing at the start, but like I think it's funnier if you can maintain it and keep it going and keep waving while everybody else is just just logging off. I just prefer the bit where everyone says their goodbyes and they have the smile, and then the smile drops, and you just see them trying to figure out how to hit the leave button. That that 
two or three seconds after everyone thinks they've finished the call but are still on it. That's just that's the sweet spot for me in terms of pure awkwardness. <laughs> yeah, my um my dad hasn't yet figured out how to end the call, so I refuse <laughs> to end it just to see him struggling to, to finish the call. It's always good fun. <laughs> well, we'll we'll not struggle to, to finish this one. Time is against this, and Colin is waiting in the wings. Keith Bailey, thank you for coming on to the score. Thanks, Michael. The score with Michael Clark. It's now time on the programme that we turn our attention to the Danske Bank Premiership and as always, a warm welcome to the show to Colin Hopkins. Colin, how are you? I'm not too bad, Michael. Yourself? I'm doing very well, thank you. Refreshed after a week off. Uh, I think everyone missed hearing your predictions. I'm sure they would have been correct anyway. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. <laughs> I would doubt it, but I mean, no, at least I didn't get any wrong, let's put it that way. <laughs> it always helps. Um, we're in a strange scenario this week where all of our matches are taking place on Saturday. Do you remember when that used to be the case? <laughs> in the good old days, to be honest, instead of being all over the place, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, it's nice to see at the end of this. It's against some fortune, no supporters in to watch them, but there you go. But uh, yeah, it's nice to have them all back on Saturday. Feels like we're getting closer to that good news coming, though. So fingers crossed where that might be or when that might be. We'll have to wait and see, but... It feels like we're getting there, and um, the, the better weather just helps everybody's mood too. I don't know about you, but you know, with it being like a year on or whatever, looking and, and starting to see some news like we talked about earlier in the program, the you know the grass grassroots football returning and things like that, it just encourages you that maybe we haven't got too much more to go. Yeah, there's sort of signs certainly of a few green shoots starting to appear, to be honest, you know, which is positive. So as you say, obviously the. The bright nights are starting to come in now. The change of clocks, obviously, this weekend and so forth. Uh, I mean, they were heading back towards the, the better weather, hopefully. And as you said, lifts the spirits. No people will see resumption of supporters come back to matches again soon as well. Yeah, fingers crossed. And with the end of the dark nights, it means I have no excuse really to not go uh, and be more active again, <laughs> one way or another, even if it is just doing laps of Carrick Fergus. But there we are. I digress. Uh, let's talk football, shall we? Of the Saturday games, one is a half five. It's also a streamed match on the BBC. That's Portadown and Linfield. I'm going to be at that. We'll talk about that in a moment. But uh, let's look at the games that kick off at three o'clock. And shall we start at the Oval? It's Glentoran against Crusaders. Yeah, an interesting one to start with. Um, Glentoran sitting in third position in this one. Crusaders sitting in sixth. Um, during the week, it was a good win for Glentoran midweek at uh, Warren Point, despite obviously the goalkeeper being away on international duty. And I think as I said, he's performed remarkably well from what I can read uh, for Gibraltar against Norway. It's, you know, in their World Cup qualifier, apparently, he was, he was outstanding in that particular match. So, very play them for, for achieving that. And only can see in three goals, which is some of a record for a Gibraltar football, I would have thought, to be honest, you know. But uh, back to the game in hand, Dantorn uh, only won, you know, undefeated the season so far at the Oval, which means it'll be very, very hard for Crusaders to do and get a lead. That said, Dantorn, obviously they're still 12 points off the pace, despite the fact they've got two games in hand. So uh, they've moved into third, so they've been slowly moving up that table, to be honest, where they can go much higher than that. No time will tell the tale, but it's certainly a hard match for Crusaders' viewpoint uh, to go to the Oval and try and get some sort of result. And you know, on uh, the other hand... Looking at Crusaders, they've lost three matches in a row, Colin, and supporters, understandably, are getting very frustrated. What is going on with Crusaders? 
That was exactly the question I was going to put to yourself, to be honest. They're sitting there sixth in the table, to be honest, and the few weeks ago we were talking about them as potential outsiders for the title itself, to be honest. Well, that just seems to have went to rack and ruin over those last few weeks, three consecutive defeats, as you have mentioned there. I would be very worried as a consider support. I mean, I think Palomino are now right in, in touching distance more than I saw things, maybe on cold distance or something, just keeping them out of that top six room. So, uh, Crusaders, you know, the money they've spent, the investment they've made, they'll certainly not want to be gotten out of that top six you know, coming into the season. But what has gone wrong, it's, it's anyone's guess, to be honest. It's not as if they've been the players you haven't been tested on. They've obviously pretty good strength sides out and just hasn't been happening for them in the last, last sort of weeks for whatever reason. You know, CV itself, to be honest, you know, previous years going back, it used to be three-point bankers are in the vast majority of the season and they've struggled a bit. I think they've actually lost five of their 14 home games, which is not my procedure whatsoever. So it's quite possibly a the fact that the crowds haven't been there, maybe in fact, maybe more so than a lot of other clubs, and the fact that you know, the supporters are quite close to the pitch, etc. And see if it's nice to compact the ground. So possibly that's that's maybe impact. But it's a it's a hard one to give an answer as what's actually been wrong over the last few weeks. Yeah, they've uh, lost four of their six games in March. An incredible feat in the, the two wins, one in Larne and one in Carrick, so um, very hard to put your finger on it, but uh, there is there is that feeling creeping in with Crusaders, and as we've seen, and ha- we've also said this as well on the programme, teams have gone on bad runs and then put a great run together and made everybody look like fools, so you don't want to write them off. Uh, you know, you made the point there about goal difference. You're right, only three uh, goals better off, if you like them, Balamine on goal difference. Crusaders going into the weekend plus 11 versus plus 8, which is Balamina's record could find themselves in the bottom half come the end of play on Saturday. But the other side of the coin is if they pull a, a run of games together, they can start to pull themselves back up the table. Frankly, they need to pull a run of games together where they get um, wins with the investment they've had. You know, you can, you can I guess, look 25 games in in terms of Glen Torn and say, OK, well, we're starting to see the fruits of all of uh, their investment starting, you know, to, to blossom and, and they're getting these uh, performances now combined with results that have, you know, propelled them up the league table to third, whereas for a long time Glen Torum were labouring, whereas with Crusaders you would think that, you know, having had a couple of years in this three-quarter professional model, we'd be seeing something a bit better than what we currently are, and I don't say that easily because they have been one of the best teams in Northern Ireland, you know, comfortably for quite some time, but this season has, you know, could descend into a disaster if they don't turn a corner soon. Yeah, I agree. It's certainly worrying times for from CV. I mean, this season particularly, obviously, obviously the lack of home, home support and you know, lack of gates through seats, etc. But they also fail to qualify for Europe on this occasion as well. So, whereas the Lexus, the other clubs are really, really benefit financially from qualifying for you know. Glentor and Linfield, Coleraine have all brought big money in from those, those runs in, in Europe, whereas Crusaders have not had that benefit this time around. So, but worrying for, I would say, with on and off the pitch for, uh, for Crusaders at the moment. So, hopefully, they can sort of start turning things around sooner or later. And clearly, when you want to hike yourself back up the table, you need to do that against teams that you're competing with for those spots. So, in some ways, Glentoran you know, this is the perfect time for them to try and turn it around, but far be it an easy match for them. Yeah, very, very difficult place. As I said, the Antoine have only lost once at home all season, to be honest, according to my information. So it's going to be very, very difficult for Crusaders to go to Oval and get some sort of result over the weekend, I suspect. Sounds like you're leaning with uh, Glen Torin then for the win. 
Uh, you got that right, yes. I would say I hope one of those. I think it'll be a close enough match, but I think Glen Torn have just got the wee bit of a bit between their teeth at this moment in time. I think that'll be enough to see them over the finish line, give them three more points as they continue their push forward in terms of the league. Yeah, Crusaders are certainly a side that people are going to be looking at and wondering. Um, you would think with everything he's done at the club, Stephen Baxter would be afforded time to turn things around, but. It feels like the mood there isn't great at the moment, and I'm not necessarily saying, you know, peeling behind the curtain and looking at what's going on in the dressing room. I'm just looking online at what supporters are saying, and understandably, they, they don't seem very pleased at the minute. Uh, do you think Stephen Baxter can turn this around? Well, he's certainly under pressure to do so, and I don't think he'll maybe get as long as maybe some people expect in order to actually do that. He's certainly been in the job for a long, long time, Stephen. Some people may feel like maybe it's, he's just run his course. Now, I'm not saying that personally. I think he's doing a great job, to be honest, and he's a fantastic manager. You know, maybe maybe it does need a bit of a change just to sort of shake things up a bit. But as I say, we'll see what the next few weeks brings. And but if it doesn't turn around, I would sort of be a bit fearful as to his long-term future there at the club. Yeah, I again, you know, I add this for supporters because I understand the emotion that goes into following uh, a club and, and seeing them go through difficulty. Um, and I, you know, everybody knows I'm from Carrick and support Carrick Rangers, and I've seen a few relegations. So, um, you know, I know what the heartache can be like. Crusaders aren't anywhere near in that sort of situation. And um, seeing everything that Stephen Baxter's done, you would think he, he definitely has earned himself a bit more time to steady the ship. And you could still end up finishing... Who knows? Say if you finish fourth and win the Irish Cup, far from a disaster given where the season has been at points. So, um, you know, maybe patience will be a virtue there. But uh, in terms of predictions, Colin is backing Glen Torren on Saturday. Uh, let's move on, shall we? We'll head to Solitude, where Cliftonville entertain Coleraine. That's another really good-looking match. Um, hopefully, uh, for whoever is, uh, if you're if you're buying the stream to watch that, or for whoever's reporting on it, hopefully it's an entertaining game. Because I have to be honest and say. Cliftonville's game at Larne, a bit of a snooze fest, Colin Hopkins. Okay, I didn't see much from the game. I know it finished in the leech, but at the same time, it's it's good to go to Larne nowadays and get a result of any description. So, fair play to you know Cliftonville for going there and keeping the keeping them out if that makes sense. And obviously, in the little draw, probably happy enough for a point. Cliftonville themselves have been on a decent run sort of the last last lot of weeks. I think they've only had one defeat in their last nine games, and that was a a way to Windsor against them here. So, so they've been doing pretty well. They haven't been winning all their games, but they certainly haven't been very, very hard to beat. Um, the other nice thing about being in Solitude, I think they've scored in their last seven home consecutive games. Um, which, so that, and actually, the last time they failed to score at home was against the Bested Korean, which was way back on December the 13th. So so there's always goals in Cliftonville at Solitude, and that's one thing they don't go So they need to be aware of in terms of the actual map. And the difficulty is uh, getting past Aaron McCary at the moment. He, and I have no problem saying this, has been in blistering hot form. He's been really, really good. Um, you know, I, I guess when he came to Cliftonville, some people were wondering why it didn't work out in the League of Ireland for him this time round, and, and what would he really bring. Well, anyone that had that thought in their head has, I think, swiftly been proven wrong because he has made some of the best saves this season and I'm talking about in the last couple of games that I've seen him play in. Um, if, if he can continue his form, uh, that is certainly going to help Cliftonville continue theirs. Yeah, there's some good stops at Lauren, apparently, as I said. I haven't really seen the highlights from that one, but I understand there was some fantastic saves in that particular mm-hmm. match as well. So, uh, yeah, certainly it always helps when you have a good solid goalkeeper at the back to keep things right. So that's certainly uh, getting the benefit from that at this stage in time. Now, you talk about yeah. form, you know, Coleraine, you, you look at them... 
a draw, heaven forbid, <laughs> in their last outing. Um, you know, yeah. people are talking about missing an opportunity with obviously Linfield losing, but Corian have been brilliant. Can they continue to be brilliant, Colin? Yeah, that's what the question is at the end of the day. I mean, it's 18 games now. The Jubilations are last defeat. That's absolutely remarkable. 18 games. That's 4th of December. You know, uh, they will be disappointed during, you know, midweek to drop points. It's don't have it. And let's be honest, they were a bit fortuitous to get that one point as well. But a, a wicked deflection from Stephen Murray strike and off in the top of the net. So we're quite fortuitous maybe to get that result. But at the same time, they've kept themselves in the field's tail. They're one point closer than what they were this time last week. So uh, we'll certainly want them pretty big game. I'm not trying to close the gap again this weekend. Yeah, Linfield fans in the strange position of uh, being Cliftonville fans for an afternoon. What do we think, exactly. though? Will Corian get the job done, or are Cliftonville going to get something, potentially everything, from the match? I'm going to pick the cat amongst the pigeons and go for a home one in this one. I mm. just think Cliftonville will sneak this particular one. And I think come the end of the weekend, we might be looking at a wider gap at that top end of the table. Very interesting. Sorry, Corian fans, but... Um, you can't predict for you every week, after all. <laughs> uh, moving on to Mournview, Glenavon against Larne. And Glenavon are, you know, you talk about Crusaders being a head-scratcher. Glenavon are a head-scratcher too because they find themselves only four points off sixth place. They're five points off uh, fifth. So string, <laughs> get a string of results together. We keep saying it, get a string of results together. And all of a sudden, it's a very different-looking season. And when they're good, they're very good. But the problem is, the reverse can be true as well. <laughs> the most unpredictable side in the division at this moment in time. One remarkable fact about Glenavon, you may not be aware of, they've actually scored in uh, 19 consecutive games, including 11 of their last 12 home games, which is absolutely remarkable. But when you look at that then, you've scored in all these home games and you've only managed to get three home ones uh, during the course of the season. So it's it must be very, very heads you scratching for Gary. I don't know what exactly he has to do to start getting more wins on the board, but when they play well, they're very, very good set, as we all know, but there's, there's a lot of time they just lose a bit of form and obviously lose games as a result of it. You know, I mean, that, their draw against Colerian this week, it was their fourth one each draw at home, so maybe that's that's a good banker if you're putting money on the pool or something like that. Maybe a wild draw for Dunhaven in terms of that. Uh, their opposition, Saturday Lauren, once again, aside who a few weeks ago, we were talking as potential title challenges, and they have sort of had a bad a bad run. They've really been struggling over this last number of weeks. I think they've actually beat a side outside the, the bottom two since the last time they went to the morning, which is sort of 11 games ago. So that's certainly not the form of a side who's going to be challenging for the title of my top ten of fourth. And whereas fourth looks reasonably comfortable at the moment, I think overall I suspect they'll be disappointed given the position they were in this time a few weeks ago to, to weren't find themselves, themselves now at this moment in time. I spoke to Gary Hamilton after the game against Cliftonville where they lost 2-1. And at that point, he said to me, and he was looking ahead to a game against Glen Torren, he said that he felt Linfield, Corian and Glen Torren were the three teams that could win the league. He left Lorne out of that, interestingly. I don't think he's writing them off in terms of their ability, far from it. But he just didn't see them as title challengers and a few games on. They've slipped down. Um, if he were to take any more points off them, you could pretty much write Lawrence title hoops off, couldn't you? Yeah, I think so, to be honest. I think the suspension of Sully has been a big sort of factor in that as well. To be honest, he's obviously, to me, he's been their key player. So losing him through those games, I think, is sort of gonna, has had a big impact in terms of Lawrence. But some not quite clicking at Lawrence at the moment. And it's just it's hard to put your finger on to say exactly what it is. But certainly, you know, we were certainly talking much bigger use of, uh, Believe that they could go a lot higher in the league, you know, certainly a few months ago, where we are at this moment in time, but just had a bit of a buffer and it's up to them to, to find a way past that and move on to the 
impact of winning ways again if they can, if they can do so. They've somewhat got there, and, and the return of Marty Donnelly perhaps helping that. You know, two wins of their last four and two draws in there as well. And they look, they they would have deserved a win against Cliftonville. Could they have got it? They just couldn't get the goal ultimately, and that was what they were left lamenting at full time last Saturday. That it was everything but the goal for them. And Paddy McLaughlin said it was a you know a draw was a fair result. I don't really think so. I think the second half was almost unbearable to watch. The first half was fairly good. I would say there were there were sparks of life in that. There was a lot of good passing football and not a lot of penetration, and that's why it ended up nil-nil. Someone else remarked I saw on Twitter, um, trying to remember who it was. Was it maybe Ian Cahoon had said that uh, the, the previous two encounters between those sides had threatened to be nil-nils, and uh, finally they got one. So got one, yeah. um, th- that kind of was how that bore out. be interesting now to see how Lauren approached this game against Glenavon and um, if they're going to get the rewards. What are your thoughts? Who's coming away with the points here? Uh, I, I'm going to go for a draw on this particular one, to be honest. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if it ends off one each once again, as Glenavon seemed to like to do at home. So I'm going to go for a draw on that particular one. Okay, there it is. Is that? I wonder, will that be our only draw of the week? Um, no spoilers yet, please. We'll, we'll see. We'll go through them. Balamina against Dungannon Swifts. And uh, as we know... Dungannon under their new boss, Dean Shields, getting his first victory as manager and um, doing it against Crusaders. A really good outing um, for him and obviously a really happy result, getting a goal just before halftime with Callum Byers and then Rory Patterson against his old club, scoring a a screamer of a free kick. Uh, Will they be able to continue that, uh, you know, from that? Will there be a bit of momentum or um, am I asking too much of the Swifts here? I think both sides are going into this game on the back of fantastic wins midweek. Obviously, Palomino got a result against Liverpool on, on Tuesday night as well. So both sides going in full of confidence and determined that he was sort of build on that there. Obviously, it was a late, late goal by Conor Kelly got the win for Palomino, but fair play to him for actually achieving that. They're actually now in a run of eight games without defeat, which is pretty good considering before that they lost the five consecutive games. So once again, frustrating times if you're a Balamina United supporter because you don't know what you're going to get now from week to week. But signs now there's a big bit of stability returning once again. I'm certainly there a little bit of confidence following that a win. And right now on the tails of Crusaders now, with every chance of moving into that those top six positions. You mentioned there about Dungannon, and I'm going to stick my neck in the block and say, say here, if we had it done predictions midweek, I would have called them to beat Crusaders. I really do think they had it in them to get that result. Um, Certainly this last few games, based on what people have been telling me, they have been a lot more improved than what they were at the, at the start of the season, you know, under Dean Chief's management. And it um, didn't surprise me in the slightest when I seen that actually get the result against Crusaders midweek. As you said, a fantastic goal from Rory Patterson. They will send two goalkeepers for him to stop that they had. It was such venom, to be honest. That's was super free kick. And fair play to Dean Shields on getting the confidence levels up and getting his first win under his belt. You may be aware, so I was speaking to his father, Kenny, last week, and Kenny was very, Kenny's very uh, confident in his own ability, but he's also very confident in Dean's ability as well, so he was certainly uh, expecting them to sort of start turning things around at Dungallon, so it looks like it may well be the case, so we'll see how it develops. So Sky Blues or the Travelling Swifts then? I'm going to break with tradition here and go for another draw on this one, Michael, that's two draws this week, which is wow. out to you, but I think both sides will have their confidence up and wouldn't surprise me if that comes away as a draw. Yeah, you talk about Balamina and what they're achieving at the moment and what they could potentially achieve. A look at the league table actually shows you that third place, Glentoran, 45 points. Eighth place, Glenavon, 35 points. Ten points between third and eighth. And I think that we have played 
approximately 25 games. Certainly those two teams have. Linfield have played the most in the league with 27. And um, the team that's played uh, the least well uh, is Portadown, I think, on 24, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, uh, just double-checking that. Doubt it myself for a moment there. But um, with so much to go, 10 points between so many teams, uh, good luck. It might just be like a snow globe. You just shake it and see what way it eventually falls. But, but um, it will be interesting to see. Uh, let's talk about Carrick against Warren Point, which is uh, the one remaining 3 o'clock game we haven't yet previewed. No, uh, yeah. the old saying goes in football, can we play every week? And I think that must be the case when it comes to Carrick and Portadown. Carrick seems to, seem to love beating Portadown. I've scored nine goals against them in two games now and obviously picked up six points along the way. So that was their first one in 11 games midweek against Portadown. So fair play to them for that. I have to say, though, Keelan Lockman's dance moves uh, leave a lot to be desired, but it might even put a guy's eyes in after that there. Let's say he's not Saturday Night Fever standard, let's put it that way. Okay, uh, that's the video the internet needs, Colin. We need you to come down to Carrick and have a dance-off with Caelan Locker, and I'm sure people would probably pay for that. Well, I don't know about me, personally, to be honest, <laughs> but I'm too old for all that now, to be honest, my friend, unfortunately, but I'll leave that to yourself and the younger, the younger reporters. You know. <laughs> I wasn't the one calling in the question this dancing. <laughs> exactly. The Carrick fair play. Carrick have been doing, you know, good results from the other night, but they just need to stop conceding goals at home. I mean, they've now conceded goals in 12 of their 13 home league games this season, which is, you know, you're not going to pick up three points if you keep conceding goals at home. So they just need to put a block on them and somehow, you know, prevent that happening in the case. Warren Point have obviously been to Carrick before already this season, already won 3 1, so they'll go there optimistic as they can get, you know, another three points on the board. And, and they pushed Glen Torn very, very hard, but we can be said as well. Um, but I took it obviously an absolute Tyler to give them the lead obviously in that one there but and I think we first said they didn't hold on to that but, but once again they pushed them hard so they, they proved once again they're a difficult side to beat you know by anybody and then they'll put Jenny side with the hard one You look at that Carrick game I mean it was a bit bonkers wasn't it to say the least after 11 minutes they were 2-0 down and I think everybody went okay this is another Carrick Rangers loss incoming how bad is it going to be and yet somehow by the 32nd minute, Carrick Rangers were winning the game, and by full time, 5-3, potentially one of the best matches of the season. And um, who would have who would have seen that coming with two of the teams at the wrong end of the table? No, that's exactly right. To be honest, you know, whenever whenever I see the team go down, like you said, there, I don't know, I thought oh, Carrick's going to be on the end of the wrong end of a hammer near tonight. To be honest, um, but fair play to them, uh, the dug in and. Make sure that they, and that wasn't the case. I mean, I did see them playing there a couple of weeks ago against Linfield, uh, which we'll, we'll talk about shortly in that actual match, but they were very, very poor that day and obviously were swept aside. So I really feared that would be the case again come Tuesday night and there's another two down. But as I said, they're all credit to them. Bounce back, score some great goals and a very, very important three points for them. Now, for Warren Point, as you say, um, really did give Glen Torren a scare midweek. And uh, I think it took everything, including the kitchen sink, for the Glens to finally get that goal and, and get the win, ultimately. But um, you can't see Warren Point being uh, easy opposition. And indeed, they would come into the game going uh, to Carrick as big favourites, I would actually say. With uh, with what we've seen that they can produce, you know that they're a good side. 
yeah, I 100% agree with you, to be honest. I mean, I've been doing reasonably well. Every side they've came up against, with the exception of maybe one match, I think, against Linfield, they haven't been swept aside. They've given a good account of themselves in every single game. They seem well-organised and well-disciplined. And certainly, they'll feed against the side here lower than the table. There's no reason at all they shouldn't be able to go to Taylor's Avenue and get the results you know, over the weekend. And the last few games have been doing remarkably well. I think the only defeats have been Clint Dorn. A couple of draws against Palomino who have been playing very, very well lately as well. So certainly don't be really worried point out this one. No, and they have a tendency of getting a couple of goals in games as well, don't they? They're not really a one nil to the Warren Point type outfit. So no. even when they lose, they, they tend to do it having got on the score sheet. And that might be a worry for Carrick Rangers and the leaky defence that you've pointed out. Carrick have conceded the division's most goals quite comfortably. 62 have uh, slipped past them already in this campaign. And um, interesting when you compare over the season in terms of goals scored. Warren Point have only scored a goal more than Carrick. But certainly the perception lately would be that um, I think Warren Point score more readily than Carrick. And and maybe Carrick slightly helped by that large victory. uh, Or at least high scoring game midweek in terms of looking at the goals for column? Yeah, very much so. But as, as I said earlier on, they really need to stop conceding goals at home. You can't concede goals at home in every, more or less every single game and expect to get results. So they need to somehow find a way of closing that door at home, stop another side scoring against them. Because obviously if the other side scores one, you need to score two to win it, and that's not always, not always easy. So can Carrick Rangers do something that people in Carrick probably don't get to see very often? Uh, back-to-back wins... Or are you thinking that Warren Point will be uh, going home happy at the end of playing Saturday? Well, the last time the sides met at Taylor's Avenue, Warren Point went over the points. So I suspect it'll be the same again this week. I think Carrick will give a account of themselves, but I just think Warren Point have enough in the tank to go there and get another similar result to the last time they were down at Taylor's Avenue. Okay, there you go. That's Colin's thoughts on that one. Now, we haven't forgotten about you, Linfield fans. Uh, you're... Half five game on Saturday is at Shamrock Park. Portadown are the hosts, and we've just talked about that defeat for Portadown. What about the defeat for Linfield? Uh, a kick in the teeth. They've afforded themselves the position where they can slip up sometimes without being massively stung by it, but they won't want to make a habit of it. And this is a potential banana peel here, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. Uh, definitely a surprise result, you know, sort of midweek losing to Balamena. As I said earlier on, I did see their game against Carrick just a few weeks back, and they were simply superb. And I know Carrick obviously were a lot of players out with injuries and stuff, but Linfield literally went up through the gears, one seven, could have won twelve or thirteen to be honest, such as their dominance on the day. And it came away away that day thinking to himself, you know, Linfield, you know, if anybody takes the title off them, I would be absolutely shocked because they looked absolutely fantastic, aren't they? They did put together a long run there, I think it was five runs in the bounce room. So at least midweek to Balamina it was a bit of a, blow, a hammer blow to him, but Obviously, uh, seeing the game as it panned out, I mean, there's obviously a sign up for Joel Cooper later on in the game. Whether or not that made a bit of an impact, I don't know at all, but it did seem a bit of a reckless challenge. I'm not sure why he decided he wanted to lunge in at a player who was really, really causing no trouble in terms of that side. So that might have had a bit of an impact, but uh, they'll certainly want to bounce back come the weekend. I'd put it yeah, that red card coming in the 91st minute and then the goal coming in the 92nd that uh, got Balamina the win. Last kick of the game, pretty much. So uh, a really big result for Balamina. But um, disappointment, of course, for Linfield. Not helped either by having an international call-up. And look, we've already spoken about Glenn Torren had to deal with that as well with their goalkeeper. Um, being swapped out and Brown was in goals, obviously, rather than uh, calling. But Shane Lavery, 
has without question been having his best season since joining Linfield. And to take him out of the team doesn't help. Doesn't mean that they shouldn't still be good enough or anything like that. But it certainly affects things a little bit. Um, not bad when you're able to call upon Andy Waterworth, who got himself in the score sheet from the spot. But um, now without Lavery, I'm assuming, you know, uh, at the well, obviously without Lavery for the weekend and without Cooper because of the suspension, um, makes things a bit more interesting. And I guess if you're a Porter Down defender, you're thinking, well, it isn't as bad as it could have been. No, well, that's true. Yeah. But as you said before, Linfield has lots of strength and depth. So you'd like to think you're able to bring in, certainly be able to produce the goods for them. Can you come the weekend? Shane Lowry certainly is, once again, reflecting back to that game against Carrick. was totally unplayable that day, to be honest. He was absolutely superb, as was said. So, so it is a big loss for them. But you know, there's plenty of backup there. Linfield can call on, on to come in, you know, to take on Portadown. Portadown obviously will still be recovered from the defeated Carrick, which you mentioned there just shortly, I mean, a few, few moments ago. I mean, to go 2 0 up and then throw it away was, was, was very, very frustrating. You know, for, for Matthew Tipton and his players to sort of, you know, have to put up with that. But I have to say, their first goal now, then, I think it was Ben Guy scored their first one. It was, it was, it was a yeah. Fantastic interaction move. It was some lovely pass, pass movement in terms of the goal. And really, really well put away in terms of, you know, the first goal. Really, really well taken goal indeed. And um, he, he left. He let his football do the talking, Ben. He's been in great form since he's been on this programme. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> obviously, my great coaching. Nothing to do with Matthew Tipton or his teammates. Obviously, all to do with my tactics. Say, <laughs> look, you're going to come on the show now to get an interview. They let us come in and increase their form levels, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, it'll be a hard match for them. If you let us make it, make it uh, correct. You put it down, we'll certainly raise the game. Obviously, the fact that they're on television and stuff like that there, you know, they'll certainly say, look, let's put on a performance. Linfield have been there already this season. And just about got home 2-1. That was way back in November. So I think Portadown will give them a very, very good run for their money. That's John Rock Park over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, a little date for everybody's diary. Tuesday, the 6th of April, Linfield versus Coleraine. Just, uh, just mm-hmm. throwing that out there. When you're looking at the league table, this weekend's fixtures may make that match more or less meaningful. But um, that's a, a date that I'm sure some people are eyeballing already and thinking, wow, I wonder what position we'll be in come that game. Um, mm. Because depending on how they do, I think Coleraine then start to get their games in hand. Maybe is the match after that. They either catch up or they pull one game back. Um, mm. So it'll, uh, it could put uh, an interesting bearing on the league table. But uh, there's a lot of ifs in there, granted. So uh, just to, to wrap things up neatly, Colin, Porter down against Linfield, the result will be? I think Linfield will win, but it'll be a lot tighter, maybe with some people suspect, but Linfield will win the game. Okay, Linfield to win the game. Well, that's your roundup of Saturday's action in the Danske Bank Premiership. You've got five games on Tuesday, just to quickly tell you what those are in alphabetical order. Um, Balamina United against Carrick Rangers. You've got Cliftonville against Glen Torren. Corain against Larne. Dungannon against Glenavon. And Portadown against Crusaders. So I'll not put Colin Hopkins through the predictions ringer for those. But those are your five games happening on Tuesday. And we'll give you our thoughts on how they turned out on next week's programme. But for now, from Colin Hopkins and myself, all that remains to be said is enjoy your weekend of sport. Bye-bye.